Hello everyone, and welcome to another mini-episode of Balkwell's Books. I'm Balkwell, and the book today is The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket by Edgar Allan Poe, published in the year 1831. Now, you, the listener, may know Edgar Allan Poe as a writer of short stories, and poetry, a very famous 19th century American poet and short story author, and the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket is, in fact, his only novel-length work. Uh, Let's just call it a novel for now, and we can decide later whether the name actually fits what it is. Much like Marty by Herman Melville, which we covered last month, This is a very bizarre work that takes place on a boat. And it's a very bizarre work that takes place on a boat by a 19th century American author that is sort of propelled forward through history by the author's other works, primarily. I struggle to imagine a person who would read the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket in isolation, and come away feeling that this is a novel by a, a, a master, a novel by a person who they believe is capable of, of great works. Because you really... Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket is a novel that struggles to make much sense, narratively and also structurally. It is a novel that is extremely inconsistent in terms of the tone, in terms of the style, in terms of the content. Uh, Essentially, it is a a few novels in one, is the feeling we get when we get to the end. The other feeling we get when we get to the end is a feeling of uh, what the heck sort of happened. And you know it's an interesting book when your feeling at the end is a question. And one of those strange sort of events or relationships in history that you might not expect, this book actually has a sequel. And the sequel is not by Edgar Allan Poe at all, but is in fact by Jules Verne, the French author of such works as Around the World in 80 Days and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea whose work, Tribulations of a Chinese Man in China, we covered on this podcast several months ago. Jules Verne, you may be surprised or unsurprised to find, was a big, big fan of Edgar Allan Poe, and particularly of the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. In fact, the only piece of literary criticism that Jules Verne ever published was an introduction to Edgar Allan Poe's works for a magazine in which he lauded him a great deal. And what Jules Verne appreciated about the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket is its imaginative qualities, the sort of journey that it takes us on, but also its psychological um, its psychological impact. This is a book that even though the plot sometimes doesn't make a lot of sense, we are put into 
the shoes of the main character in a very effective manner. And when things are going poorly for him, as they always are, we are made to experience that fully. This is a, a tale that includes great suffering and great psychological torment, at least in the uh, first half of it. And it is a story that is incredibly dark in that way, maybe as you'd expect from Edgar Allan Poe, that he is writing a story of a man who is experiencing the perhaps some of the greatest lows that a man can experience and living through them. So let's talk about this first half of the novel. So Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket is a young man in Nantucket, which you will, might know as a sort of island off of the east coast of America where there are lots of boats. There are people's, you know, that's where there's plenty of sailors there. There's plenty of boats that are sailing off into the seas to do all sorts of nasty business. And thus Arthur Gordon Pym uh, has a dream of going out to sea. His parents don't want him to do this, however, because they consider it dangerous, but Arthur Gordon Pym will not be uh, denied his dream. The first time Arthur Gordon Pym goes out on a boat is in the middle of a night, middle of the night with one of his best friends who is the son of a captain. And this son and Arthur Gordon Pym get horribly drunk and after being horribly drunk, they go to bed to sleep it off. But in the middle of the night, his friend wakes up and says, God dang it, Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, let's go out a-sailing. I've got this little boat, and uh, I've got the desire to go out to sea. And Arthur Gordon Pym says, well, that sounds like a fantastic idea, so off they go. In the middle of the night, it's of course very dark. There is a, a bit of a storm a brewing. And they head out there, and as they sail away from the water, Arthur Gordon Pym begins to realize that his friend is much, much more drunk than he thought, and that he is not in control of this boat in any regard. And Arthur Gordon Pym himself uh, has no idea how to control a boat. And so there they are, sailing off into the night, no idea where they're going, no compass in hand, uh, no way to sort of... Um, get through the sort of stormy waters. And what do they do? They get hit head-on by a whaling ship that does not see them coming. And their boat is destroyed and they're cast off into the sea. Thankfully, a few of the sailors from the whaling ship notice them. They turn around and they save them. And no one's too worse for wear. Somehow or another, they both managed to survive the incident with only a few scratches and a, a bit of, you might say, trauma, perhaps. But they're sort of young, rugged young men, so they get through it okay. They are deposited back on the shore. They go back, and nobody's any the wiser that it ever happened at all. I suppose no one asks Arthur Gordon Pym's friend what happened to that boat at any point. But anyway, so Arthur Gordon Pym has this experience, and you might think that this experience would make Arthur Gordon Pym not want to go to sea 
ever again, that he might be in some way scared or traumatized, as I mentioned, but this is not the case. Arthur Gordon Pym wants to go to sea more than ever before, and this is our first inkling that Arthur Gordon Pym is a very strange, strange individual, and that perhaps what happens to Arthur Gordon Pym is a sort of reflection. The, the situations he gets put in are, it's almost as if this is what he desires, you know, to be put into these most extreme situations on Earth. So his friend, Arthur Gordon Pym's friend, being the son of a captain, invites Arthur Gordon Pym to go on his dad's whaling ship. And Arthur's parents don't want him to go to sea, and so he has to trick them. And his friend smuggles him onto the boat, and they make a little room for him in the hold where no one knows he's there. He's got some food, he's got some water, a little candle, and they set him up there. And his friend says, once we get far enough out to sea that they're not going to turn around and put you back, uh, I'll let my dad know and you can just hang out on the boat with me and it'll be a good time. Don't worry, this is a great idea. So they do this. And Arthur Gordon Pym is, you know, hanging out in the in the hold. His friend sort of pops down and visits him once or twice and says, how's it going? And he says, it's fine. I've got water. I've got some bread. Uh, I've got some alcohol. Uh, I'm doing great. You know, all good. And his friend says, okay, good. I'll, I'll come back for you later. And then a few days go by and his friend doesn't come back. And then a few more days go by, and Arthur Gordon Pym is now low on water, and he's low on food, and his candle is running out, and it's dark, and it's starting to get a little... The air in this hold is starting to get a little bit off. He's starting to have trouble breathing, his mind is starting to go a bit dizzy. So he tries to escape. He goes back to this little trap door that goes to his friend's quarters, tries to push it, and realizes that there is some heavy object atop the trap door. And so Arthur is stuck. He has no food. He has no water. The alcohol only makes him thirstier. And the air is becoming sort of noxious with some sort of fume. And so this is the first experience of several in which Arthur Gordon Pym uh, almost dies. And while he's almost dying, he experiences great torment. You know, he, he lies around, he sort of sleeps for days at a time, and when he awakes, uh, the world is foggy, he's dizzy, his head hurts, he can barely move for exhaustion, he's crawling around the floor, um, trying to find his way anywhere. And basically having a terrible time of it. However, at the, at the last moment, Arthur Gordon Pym is saved in a manner that we don't need to get into. And it turns out that his friend had left him down there because there was a mutiny aboard the ship. And he didn't want to bring him out because it was quite dangerous. And, you know, dangerous crewmen had taken over the ship and were threatening people with guns and violence and such forth. So Arthur Gordon Pym and his friend and another sailor, who's a sort of short and bulky man, whose name I've forgotten at the moment, 
a short and bulky sort of super invincible man who can sort of crush people's heads with his uh, bare hands, they get together and they take the ship back. And all is well and good um, until they realize there's only three of them and there's four of them. There's some other guy. And uh, they have this ship and the ship's all messed up. They're in the middle of the ocean. They don't know where they are. Uh, there's a storm a-brewing, as there always tends to be, and most of the supplies in the hold have been um, waterlogged, and they're just stuck down there because the ship's turned in this way and that from uh, being barraged by the storm with no one there to sort of keep it going. So anyway, they sort of start to starve to death. In a, They sort of start to starve to death. And once again, Arthur Gordon Pym is on the brink of death. And so this first half of the novel, we see Arthur Gordon Pym go from terrible experience to terrible experience to near-death experience to near-death experience and sort of really run the gamut of human torment. And you, you sort of get this feeling that Edgar Allan Poe who is at the time of writing an impoverished man uh, struggling to keep his family afloat, probably surviving on very little food, is writing about the sort of depths of human, human experience. And that through this fictional tale, he is sort of uh, expressing this sort of traumatic uh, way of living, this impoverished way of living. And it's quite an engaging novel for this first half. As Jules Verne said, it's sort of, the, the pace is quite quick. You know, he describes these at a good pace. And it's a very interesting uh, and engaging narrative, as I said. However, at this point, the book takes a turn. And it can't take a turn for the worse in terms of, uh, Arthur Gordon Pym's experiences, because he's really gone through the ringer. So instead, it takes a turn for the somewhat lazy and uh, somewhat, you know, rushed. It, it seems that at this point in the novel, uh, Edgar Allan Poe sort of lost the plot, and that if he had ended the novel here with them getting rescued, from the ship, as they do at the end after they're starving and resorting to cannibalism and all this sort of thing, he, he, they do get saved at the end. And once they get saved, the book changes completely. And they're saved by this ship that is heading towards the Antarctic uh, Ocean to try to discover uh, islands or whatever is in the South Pole. Because that's the sort of thing that people are into doing these days. Uh, we we have in Frankenstein, it begins with someone trying to discover the North Pole. This book, there's someone discovering the South Pole. People were really just going this way and that. And, and at this point in the novel, we sort of lose this personal, we lose this focused, subjective view of what's going on, this tormented anguish and, and grief and instead we are given a sort of zoomed back sort of more objective view of this boat's journeys for a little while much of which is lifted out of encyclopedias 
So instead of writing about the experiences, Edgar Allan Poe says, well, they got to this island, which is described by the encyclopedia of such and such as, and then we'll just paste, you know, multiple paragraphs or a whole page of description from this other sort of reference book. And the book just slows down to a crawl. You know, it just becomes basically nothing for, for quite a long period of time. And then we get to the Antarctic. So for whatever reason, the Antarctic, you get past a certain point, and you have to remember that nobody had really been there at the time, so you could really do whatever you like in terms of fictionalizing it. They get to a certain part of the South Pole, and it turns out that it's quite warm. Once, once it, You know, it seems like it's going to be cold. It gets colder and colder and colder. You get past a certain point. Ah, it's, it's fine. It's pretty warm. The, the waters are pretty steady. And they come across this island. And, of course, it's filled with savages and barbarians. And uh, we get a sort of first contact... Not first... Yeah, a sort of first contact sort of story where they come across these natives... Uh, the native people don't like them. Uh, they're all sort of wary of each other. The natives betray them, and Arthur Gordon Pym is in trouble once again. This part of the story is somewhat half-baked. We get uh, a sort of an inkling of the previous sort of experiences of Arthur Gordon Pym. He ends up sort of trapped in this collapsed, uh, the natives have sort of collapsed a ravine on top of him, and only him and his five-foot-tall, weird, bulky guy survive together. And it's sort of another sort of survival thing, but the stakes are just don't feel as impactful in this last section. It sort of feels like we're just going through the motions, and eventually they manage to escape the natives, who are these scary and terrible people, they steal their canoe and they sail off into the sunset. And the book then ends. They're sailing towards the South Pole, and suddenly there's a sort of fog, or gradually a fog sets in, and the water becomes sort of milky, I suppose you could say, and it's got some, you know, this white sort of thick water around them and they're sailing through and this fog is almost like a waterfall is sort of a gigantic waterfall is crashing from the sky and releasing all this sort of water vapor and they get to the waterfall and they meet a giant being a sort of giant white ghostly spirit and uh the spirit beckons them and the novel ends and what is more bizarre, even than the actual events of this ending, is the sort of epilogue. So this book, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, begins with a preface from Arthur Gordon Pym, in which he states that these are the experiences he went through, but he never really wanted to write them down. So instead, he allowed Edgar Allan Poe, who at this time is a monthly writer for a magazine, to serialize, to, to sort of retell his works and serialize them in the magazine, which is how the book, the initial chapters of the book were initially published. 
Now, after this sort of great spirit beckons Pym in, the narrative abruptly ends with a final note, which says that Arthur Gordon Pym has suddenly died, and that the final chapters of his book have seemingly died with him, that nobody knows where they are or what's happened to them, that after this point in the book, um, whatever resources Poe was using to sort of put together the narrative um, don't include whatever happens after this. And there is now, because Pym is dead, there's no way of finding out. And they sort of theorize that perhaps... There are a few more chapters left to tell, but who's to say? Now, this is a very weird and sort of playful way to end a book that... It's odd, because in a certain sense, you could say the book then doesn't have an ending, because he admits that there are two two or three chapters that are perhaps missing. In another sense, the book very, the the final event of this great spirit beckoning Pym in makes pretty good sense as an ending, as much as an ending to this sort of book can make sense. I mean, what's going to happen to someone after a great spirit beckons them through the waterfall? I mean, you can't imagine much. In fact, the strangest part of it is that although this clearly seems like Arthur Gordon Pym's death, we know that he makes it back to the United States and gives his story over to Edgar Allan Poe. So something must have happened to him with this spirit that we don't know about and he never told anyone about. And the only other person who was with him refuses to comment for whatever reason. So we're left with a sort of ambiguous and strange sort of ending to the novel that I suppose is fitting because, I mean, how are you really going to end a book like this? Any sort of ending where Arthur Gordon Pym just sort of makes it back to the United States and everything's fine would be more bizarre than anything else, that that a, a book of a man going to the Antarctic and discovering some sort of strange culture there in a milky white sea with a great spirit... A story in which, at one point that I did not mention, they encounter what seems to be a ghost ship full of skeletons. Um, There's not really much of a tidy resolution. You can't expect much of a tidy resolution to a novel of this sort. And of course you don't get one. And this mystery, I suppose, is, is one reason why this book sort of continues to live on, continues to engage people to this day, because despite its many sort of failings when it comes to coherence, cohesiveness, there is quite a lot of... um, There's something psychologically interesting about this book in terms of it says a lot about whoever wrote it. I mean, we know it's Edgar Allan Poe. It says a lot about Edgar Allan Poe to have written this book. And in fact, that the book was written under great duress during a time of impoverishment, that it was written uh, rushedly um, to go to print. 
um, to make him a little bit of money so that his family doesn't starve to death. It, it almost reveals more than a carefully written and carefully polished and edited book might. That when Edgar Allan Poe reached deep into himself, when he had to come up with something, this is what came out. And it really says a lot about the nature of his soul, that this is what came out. You know, many people believe that it's what we do in these moments of duress that our, our true character comes out. You know, when we're forced to act, when we don't get time to think or deliberate. And so you might, you might speculate that Edgar Allan Poe's true character is coming out in this book. That the sort of grief and anguish is clearly part of it. There's a, but there's also this confusion, this sort of recklessness to the novel in terms of its structure. The fact that partway through it almost gives up on subjective description at all and and um, moves to quoting long passages from encyclopedias. I mean, there's a sort of lack of confidence there um, to keep the story going. Clearly, he feels that the novel, perhaps as a form, is almost beyond him, that he can write these sort of short uh, vignettes, he can write these short... Um, action scenes, but this sort of stringing it together into a longer and cohesive narrative um, is a struggle. And so in that way, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket is quite an interesting book to read. If you're a fan of Edgar Allan Poe, of course, this is going to reveal much to you about him, and you'll probably find a great deal to enjoy. Someone like me, I had never actually read Edgar Allan Poe before, and I feel like I learned a lot, uh, maybe not what anybody wanted me to learn, but I definitely feel like this is a book, if you can forgive books that don't quite meet your expectations, books that sort of fither, fither and, and fail a few times on their way, then you might find a lot to enjoy in the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket. And to think that someone so sort of clear, clear-headed clear in his sort of structuring of a novel as Jules Verne, that perhaps what attracted him to Edgar Allan Poe was this carelessness, this lack of structure, this um, chaos that Jules Verne doesn't often capture in his own novels. So for that contrast alone, perhaps, it might be interesting to fans of adventure stories, fans of perfectly plotted adventure stories, such as those of Jules Verne. So that has been the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, and I have been Balkwell. Um, if you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on Apple or Spotify or any sort of thing, or even on YouTube at the channel Balkwell. And if you would like to check out my website at balkwell.substack.com, I publish essays there every two weeks, every other Thursday, um, often about literature and books and things of this sort. If you like this podcast, you will likely like 
what goes on there as well. Thank you all for listening, and goodbye.